Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Stoppage Time. We're taking your questions on Atlanta United, on MLS, on U.S. national team stuff, whatever you want to get into. We'll look back at Atlanta and Miami, 1-1 draw, and we'll look ahead to Atlanta and Montreal on the weekend in a wide-open Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's been a long time since we could say that, Mike. Yeah, uh, Miles Robinson and Franco Ibarra just had media availabilities in the last hour, and both of them were talking about how cool that's going to be. Ibarra says this is going to be the largest crowd he's ever played before. Uh, The stadiums he played in Argentina, they never quite got to, or at least where he played, they never quite got to 45,000. Well, you got to remember, too, he broke in. He made one appearance in the previous season pre-COVID. But his break-in with Argentinos was during the the time of COVID where it's empty stadiums. It's a great point. He was talking about what his teammates have told him. Miles Robinson has talked about how he had to kind of describe for his teammates what this is going to be like. So uh, I think it's really cool. I I have to be honest with you. I mean, there were times in the last year where I really did wonder if we would ever have that again, ever. Um, so not only are we having it, we're having it way sooner than I thought. And by the way, the club has announced, by the way, if you missed it in the last yeah. half hour, uh, if you haven't gotten a jab yet and you want to get a jab, I think this is awesome. Yeah. They're going to let you get jabbed while you can watch the match from the 300 level Skybridge, which I think is a brilliant idea. That's for people who have tickets. Uh, if you don't have tickets or if you want to get your jab beforehand, you can go to the supporters' tailgate, lot 17, and they're going to do Pfizer jabs there. So it doesn't matter if it's your first dose or second dose. If you want Pfizer, they've got it for you. Wow. Um, and I, By the way, I tweeted that out. I thought some of the reaction was really, really interesting. Like our, our buddy Frederick, um, who's Montreal's, I think, French-language radio announcer yeah. who travels with the team. Really, really nice guy. Love Frederick. He just tweeted, hey, look, if you're going to be in the U.S. for the Montreal match, here's a way where you can get a vaccine. Because, uh, you know, in Canada, the uh, the availability for the vaccine is um, it's not widespread mm-hmm. right now. Uh, a Brazilian commentator 
quote tweeted it and said, hey, look, in Brazil, we're desperately trying just to get players vaccinated right yep. now. And here's Atlanta United offering a vaccine to its fans. Um, so really, really cool. I have a feeling that probably a, a good number of people who are going to be at the match on Saturday are vaxxed. Like, I'm fully vaxxed. I know you are too, Jason. Uh, but for those who have just not had time or an opportunity, I mean, how cool is that? You can watch the match and get jabbed. So um, really, really cool. I know the Braves have done it too. I mean, this isn't yep. unique. Just South Atlanta Georgia United, Tormented did this as well um, er- yes. earlier in the month, I believe, which was very cool. Yes. Very, very cool. So, you know, we're, we're hate to use the cliche, but we're all in this together. Yeah. Uh, and, um, look, I, I mean, I get it. I'm busy. I have to take a day off work to get my second jam. I mean, it, it's tough. It's tough right now. We're all busy. Um, but th- this is a really cool way to, I think, ensure that we're going to continue to have full stadiums through the summer and into the fall if we all do our part. And it, it's an amazing job by the club, Fulton County Board of Health, FEMA, everyone who's run the Mercedes-Benz Stadium signed. I got my first shot there went great um so anyhow that's going on on saturday and yeah we've got a big match coming up on saturday we have the miami match on sunday uh we'll take your questions on anything so go ahead and type them in on the bottom of your screen uh but i guess let's start there if we want to go chronologically with what happened on sunday jason and a lot of the reaction to sunday's match i think has kind of spun now towards Hey, this was really, really great for Joseph. Mm-hmm. It was really great to mm-hmm. see him score. It was really great to see him pay homage to Mario Cruz, the trainer who helped him so much through his rehab. Um, I, I was unaware. In fact, during the post game, Miller was waving at me like, go to Fort Lauderdale, go to Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, no, we're done with the player interviews. I didn't realize that Joseph was speaking. So we missed all that on the full time report. But Joseph, again, spoke candidly as he has a couple times about just how difficult and painful this rehab process was for him so really really great to see him score it is a draw I was disappointed on Sunday with the draw I think I still am a a tiny bit disappointed just because when you're leading beyond the 75th minute you really want to find a way to close that out Uh, one thing that I don't think we really fully appreciate or at least I didn't fully appreciate doing the game from our air-conditioned studios in Atlanta was just how difficult the conditions were. And that is something that Miles Robinson talked about uh, in his media availability today. He said it's so hot, and he brought up a good point that it's one thing when it's hot in the summer because you've kind of acclimated to that heat. It's another thing when it's hot on May, what was it, 10th um, or 9th, whenever that was, because you haven't acclimated to it yet. And I really think that was a factor, not only for Atlanta United, but Inter-Miami, too. I thought the match got very ragged in the second half. Mm -hmm. You saw Inter-Miami engaging in some dark arts to try to draw penalties. (laughs) And I'm not not talking about the Miles handball. I'm not talking about the (laughs) Ulloa thing. I'm talking about Leandro Gonzalez-Perez throwing his body at the far (laughs) post as if he was pulled down from behind. It was no one even... One of the most comical attempts to win a penalty I've seen in a long time. He, you can go back and look at the replay. The ball is overhit. You see his eyes go up and see that the ball is going over his head. And then the arms go up and he tries to throw himself into Anton Walks to draw something. And then he is uh, incandescent with yelling about it and looking a little foolish. Um, there's a, 
a question about the Brad Gazan Victor Uyoa one, and Phil Neville was very clear in saying he thought it was a penalty, and Brad Gazan was very clear in saying that he didn't think it was, and the referees agreed with Brad. I did too. After seeing the replays, it looks like Brad gets to that ball, and yeah, there's contact, but it's the same conversation on a tackle. He got there. He won the tackle. He won the challenge. You're not being penalized for that. That's kind of Looney Tunes. The the Miles Robinson handball is a different conversation because then you're getting into judgment and you're getting into the new handball law and all the elements that go into it. And it's a tough one. Um, we couldn't really tell in the initial replays which hand it possibly hit. It hit something because they gave a corner. Um, maybe. At least they thought it hit something because they gave a corner. Maybe is the better way to put it. We couldn't really tell, and it wasn't until the later replays where it looked like maybe it came off the other hand, the more outstretched one, because he had one kind of across his body as he was lunging to try to block, and his other arm was up in a position that it goes to when you're lunging. And I don't think there was any quote from the referee, from a, a referee pool reporter or anything, about how they decided on that judgment. Which would have been nice because I don't know exactly what he saw. I don't know if he feels like there actually wasn't contact with the ball hitting Miles Robinson's hand or arm, or it was judged to not be a handball because of X, Y, or Z. We don't know. That would have been nice information to have. Miles did kind of play it off coy when asked about it today. Uh, I think he conceded that the ball did hit his hand, but that's not. That doesn't automatically mean penalty. No, that's it something Miles was trying to communicate that, you know, look, the, the ref was right there. He said not a penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought of the the two incidents in the second half, the Uyoa thing and the Robinson thing. The Robinson thing was way closer to a penalty than Uyoa, but I'm not positive Agreed. that that was a penalty. I don't think the Uyoa thing was even close. No, no. I, that was, I think that, that's Brad with a mitt on the ball. I don't know what Bill Neville thought was clearly and obviously a penalty there. Uh, in the first half, there was an incident with George Bellow, arm clearly tucked into his body. Ball may have played into his hand. I don't know. But, I, I mean, his arm's not an unnatural extension or anything like that. That's not a penalty either. I, I, I do see what Steve is saying, that we always think every call goes against your team. I think those were both penalties. I, 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 Steve, I'll tell you why I think the Gazan one was. The Robinson one's a judgment from the referee. Yeah. I, I, um, I could go with Robinson, but Uyoa, no way. The Uyoa one is not even close to me because Brad Gazan gets a hand on the ball. How many times have we talked about, you know, in the history of the game, the goalkeeper has a right to try to go for that ball, and he does. If he doesn't get it, then we're having a conversation about it being a penalty. Absolutely. But he got the ball. There's no question for me that he gets the ball. So if he gets the ball, you can't call penalty there. You just can't. You, if, if that's the case, then goalkeepers can't come out and challenge people. And that's not what we want in the game. If you think he didn't get the ball, we're having a different conversation. But I thought it was pretty clear he got the ball, which rules that one out as a penalty. Yeah, I, I don't even think that aspect of it is debatable. Now, look, Miami did carry the play uh, for stretches in the second half. I'm not saying Atlanta United was hard done to not get three points here. I, I thought Inter-Miami was the better team in the second half. It's something that Heinze talked about. They really needed to get a second goal in the first half. That could have really changed things entirely. It, yeah. it seemed like there was an acknowledgement by Heinze that, hey, look, we played Tuesday night. Conditions are a factor. 
this is going to be really, really tough for us to to go all out 90 minutes, play the style that we want to play uh, and be able to um, to kind of hold on for 90 minutes. So they had opportunities to get the second goal in the first half. Jake Mulraney had an opportunity they couldn't convert. I thought Atlanta United was very, very good in the first half. Maybe not as good as they were in the first half against Philadelphia no. in either leg, especially okay. the home leg. Uh, but I thought they were very good in the first half. And, you know, you evaluate the match based on 90 minutes, not 45. But when Atlanta United's tank was fullest, I was encouraged with what I saw. I thought it looked pretty good. No, my my biggest frustration with dropping points is because they didn't find a second goal in the first 45. If you do that, it's game over. And they weren't able to do that. I, I think we all had a pretty good sense that the energy levels were going to drop as the day went on. It was hot. It was humid. It was difficult. It showed. Miami was playing their fourth game of the year. Atlanta was playing their eighth. Those minutes add up over time in those conditions. It was going to be harder to hold on to a one-goal lead rather than a two-goal lead. And it's something that this team's going to have to do. And in the Philadelphia game is, is similar with this. You've got to put games away early. You can't let people hang around because you're going to play whether it's hot or not, and whether you've played a bunch of games or not, Atlanta United will play a high-energy, high-intensity, high-pressing style of play. That's the way this team is going to play on the field. That takes energy out of you. You're going to be tired at the end of games. You can't sub everybody. You need to put games away earlier to where you can manage those games better in the second half. That goes back to just the attack in general, and I think we saw a glimpse of what we, what needs to be seen more with the movement off the ball. The goal showed it. Emerson Hindman's run freezes Ryan Shaw across. That gives Joseph Martinez time to turn and shoot. More involvement from more players and more movement off the ball consistently. Not As we talked about on the, the midday show today with, with Andy and Randy, Randy brought up a good question about you know, is it just give and goes? Is it, you know, a wall pass? It, you need that because you need the combinations. I think Atlanta's done well with combinations. The third player has to come into the mix. And even the fourth player has to come into the mix where somebody who knows they might not be involved in the play has to make a run off the ball to open up space. You saw the opposite on the goal Atlanta conceded. Federico Iguain made a selfless run out wide, drawing Sosa chasing, freezing George Bellow, and Lewis Morgan took advantage and, and scored the goal. That movement off the ball has to come more and not come because of thinking about, oh yeah, I need to do this. It needs to be natural. Heinemann getting involved in the, the two-man game out wide with Lennon and Mulraney, playing Joseph, and seamlessly continuing his run, following the ball, continuing the run, opened up the space for Joseph. More movement will equal more goals. Yeah, Bruno brings up something that I, I saw a lot on Twitter after the match on Sunday, and I, I've heard a little bit more of it through the week. Questions about uh, did Heinze maybe make some incorrect substitutions or some incorrect changes in the second half? And I do want to get your thoughts on that. I, I do think Heinze may have briefly addressed it when he was talking about how he set the team up, he had a lot of center backs and a lot of strikers in mm -hmm. the team. Uh, like he had Dijon, 
Alan Franco, Campbell. I think George, George Campbell. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously Conway and Kubo Torres and, and Kubo came on. So five of your outfield subs were either center backs or were strikers. And you brought on DeJohn and you brought on um, Kubo Torres. But well, maybe you could address that a little bit because yeah. I have seen that a couple times. The about- subs that were made uh, will work backwards. Kubo Torres coming on for Joseph Martinez. That's a like for like. Nothing changed. Uh, Franco Ibarra coming in for Eric Lopez. That moved Moreno, who was... Moreno and Lopez were very free in this game. They were switching a lot, who was wide, who was central. Uh, That kind of fixed Marcelino Moreno out wide to the left with Franco Ibarra, who's going to play as a central midfielder coming on. The the one that was maybe the biggest change was Alex DeJohn coming in in the 73rd minute for Jake Mulraney. That pushed Brooks Lennon up higher. We thought at the time on the broadcast that maybe it was a sense of going to a 3-4-3 because Federico Higuain had come into the match at that point. He'd come in the 57th minute for Breck Shea. He was playing centrally, functioning more like a withdrawn forward than a true number 10 thought maybe that Gabriel Heinze wanted one more center back to help deal with that. But what it looked like the way it played out, and maybe this is just the nature of making subs on the fly, it looked like Dijon was playing more of a right back and Lennon was playing higher up the field. So still in a 4-3-3, but Dijon is a right back rather than Lennon as the right back. That's a point of clarification that that would have been good, and and maybe we'll get it when Gabriel Heinze speaks to the media tomorrow. That was the one that had the biggest effect in changing the way the team looked. And Alex DeJohn's mistake on the free kick doesn't have anything to do with his position, by the way. It's just it's a it's a mistake. He he didn't need to play that risky of a ball at that point. It's also given away sixty five yards away from goal. There are other players involved in the mistake that compounded it and made the goal happen. But DeJohn was okay. You know, I'd like to know the thought process on that one. The other options you had at that time, I believe Ronald Hernandez was available if you wanted to go with more of a traditional right back at that point. He was on the bench. Mikey Ambrose was also on the bench if you wanted to play him on the opposite side and inverted, and we've seen Mikey Ambrose play as a right back before sparingly, but he can do it. So you had a couple of other options if DeJohn was coming in as a right back. Maybe because the system is very fluid and it's something that people have to understand. I've seen a lot of conversation about players playing out of position. This is not new, but it's even more the the case with Gabriel Heinze. Positions are not as important as roles and responsibilities. There are some positions like the wingers that do very specific things. But a lot of the players on the field have to be able to do multiple things. With Alex DeJohn, you know he can play as a center back. Center backs have to be able to play out wide from time to time because that's where the game takes them. And in this case, you had Federico Higuain, who was dragging people, as we saw with Sosa, around. When those changes happen in games in the future, you want to see a little more clarity from the players on the field as to the understanding of how those roles and responsibilities might have changed. Not, I'm playing right back, which means I stand here and I don't go anywhere else. Not in the system. Not in this way of playing. Right backs have to be right wingers, have to be right central midfielders, sometimes have to be center backs. That's just the nature of it. 
So Alex John playing there is not playing out of position. It's about what was he tasked to do, and did he carry out those tasks and act on those responsibilities that he had. And that's the part that I don't know exactly what that change was intending to do. My guess is it was about Federico Higuain and what he his involvement changed in the match, but I haven't seen an answer to that yet. And we might find out tomorrow. Maybe, yeah. Heinz he speaks to the media. He's going to speak to the media tomorrow. And uh, Nick did ask, are, are there any updates on Barco or Dom or anyone else? We might get that tomorrow uh, when Heinze speaks. Yep. Haven't really heard anything about that. Um, you know, the, as, as you know, with hamstring, groin, quad, any type of muscle injury, that could be a really short deal or it could be a really long deal. Uh, so maybe we'll get some information on that tomorrow. I am would imagine we'll get the official injury report on Friday for both Atlanta United and Montreal. Montreal is playing tonight. Uh, they play Miami. Mason Toy, who scored their first goal of the year, uh, is out right now. It, it, Montreal's got a bunch of guys with, like, thigh and calf problems right now. Mason Toy is one of them. So um, he's not playing tonight. He's out. I don't know if that could open the door for him to maybe be questionable on Saturday, but um, – as soon as we get more information on injuries for both teams, we'll let you know. But I have no new information on Barco or Dom to give you today. Um, Nick also asks about, um, you know, uh, what a lot of people have been talking about over the last 24 hours. Right. So, uh, look, uh, we don't ever want to dodge or deflect or, or not get into things that you all want to talk about. Nick has asked. Um, so let's get into it. And if you have follow-up questions, go right ahead. I would say just for the sake of being a full-service show, I don't want to dwell too terribly long on this because we do have other questions on other subjects, and we have a match to preview this week. So I, I just want to put that out there as a caveat that, I don't know, what do they say in wrestling? Like, uh, all championship matches have, like, a 20-minute time limit. Yeah. Um, I, yeah that's old school. Yeah, let's put a 20-minute time <laughs> limit on this, see if we can do that. If there are follow-up questions or comments, uh, we'll certainly take them. Yeah. But I, I don't want to dwell on this for the whole show because uh, we've got a lot of other things to talk about. Because it's old news. And <laughs> what news is there is old news. These are old things that happened. Uh, I have continually pointed at the quote from Darren Eels in the article in The Athletic about, and I'm paraphrasing so I don't have it in front of me, um, healthy friction. And this is general to really any business, any industry, but especially in sports where you have coaches, managers who are judged by results. They are thinking game to game. They are thinking short term. I think we're a little unique right now. And Gabriel Heinze is definitely thinking longer than just game to game, but he is looking at game to game results. And he's made it clear. He understands that managers are judged by results. But you can't run a club purely based off game-to-game -game and results unless you're in Brazil and you fire managers five times a year to the point that the league has to actually make a rule saying, no, you can't do that anymore. It's bad for the game. There's literally a rule now in the Brazilian league that you can only have two managerial changes per year. I mean, this is insane. So you have to have people in the club who have to make those decisions. Those are the harder decisions because you're projecting out medium and long term. And they're going to come in conflict with the manager from time to time because the manager wants to win today. 
you have to think about the long-term health of the club. Those things might not be in the same alignment. Also, and I think it's pretty clear from the article that people who did not go on the record with a name but as an anonymous source here are not with the club. If you've been if a decision that you wanted to go one way has gone against you, probably not going to be very happy, right? That has to be taken into account here. But you have these things in any team, in any business, where you have to manage short versus medium and long term. They're not always going in the same direction. They're just not. So for this to come out, um, <laughs> it, it, it's part of the story that I'm sure the Dallas Cowboys have had, and I seem to remember plenty of conversations about Jimmy Johnson and Jerry Jones and butting heads over these kinds of things. Um, the New York Yankees, I mean, I think there's a 30 for 30 about George Steinbrenner and all the different managers that he had and all the different situations with that. Those are on the extreme level. Here, it's not even at that level, and it's being turned into a big deal with old things right now. The, the highlights that people keep pointing at are things from 2015, 2017 off-season, 2018 off-season, and 2019 off-season going into 2020. It's May of 2021, and those things don't affect this team currently on the field. That's, you know, it, it's it, it's a it's a piece that gets everybody going, but does it actually mean a whole lot right now? I don't think it has any effect on this team except creating a storyline off the field. Right, and I, I think even the piece touches on that a little bit. How, you know, the 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 operation which involves Heinze now <clears throat> isn't it, excuse me uh, isn't certainly in a different place than it was uh, under the last couple managers and that it is almost starting anew I, I, I think that was a, a point even made in the article um, this is uh, this is a complicated subject for me because I'm I have a professional relationship with the club. So, so does Jason. I mean, we have professional relationships with the club, uh, but I'm also a member of the media. So is Jason. So it, it's not my job to challenge the veracity of anything that's out there in the media, in the local media, uh, something that was produced by someone who also covers the team. That's not my job. Um, so I don't want to get into that. But what I what I would say is that I want to address more of the reaction to it. Um, I'm just, I'm very, um, I'm surprised at how extreme the reaction was to it. And I think one thing that was very much glossed over in the piece, and one thing that has been uh, maybe uh, forgotten or thrown off to the side in, in the discourse that's that's come about over the last 24 hours, is that the person that was the subject of the piece had a major role in winning three trophies for this club and very nearly a fourth. And if you want to call the son of Baconator a trophy, a fifth, um, like <laughs> the Eastern I, just, conference championship trophy. If you're new, <laughs> you miss yes, that whole yeah, right. declaration. Yeah, have, have yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm a little surprised 
that, you know, here we are in 2021. And yeah, 2020 was a bad year. Yeah. 2020 was a bad year. Um, by the way, I don't really remember a whole lot of conversation in the piece about how just Martinez missed the entire season and you were going into matches and league plays without any designated players for one reason or another. That really wasn't, I, I don't remember seeing too much of that in the piece. Uh, but 2020 was a bad year. It, it's just strange to me that here we are now in 2021. Th- this team has had eight competitions. They've had results. They've earned results in six of them. They've earned results in four or five road competitions. And we're at the point where we have pieces like this dropping, um, which are, it, I mean, it, I want to be careful again. This is where it gets very, very tough for me as a member of the media. But that was a piece that was very, very negative in tone. And I don't think the tone of the piece matches the reality of where Atlanta United is as a club right now. No. Um, Atlanta United is a very well-run, functional club with a manager that I think everyone agrees uh, is trying to implement things that will – restore Atlanta United to the way that we all want to see them. Um, and that's going to take some time, but I don't know how we can have any kind of discussion and just willfully ignore the fact that this team has won three trophies under Carlos, that they're playing pretty well this year, all things considered. Uh, and I, I think even that point's going to become a debate with some, but that's the way I feel. It, it, it is, and it, it was on and, Sunday. Yeah, and and I just I don't like this whitewashing of his accomplishments. Forget the on-field accomplishments for a second. This is the same technical director who had a role in selling Miguel Almiron for a record transfer fee for MLS. The same technical director who had a role in selling Pitti Martinez for a dollar amount that I think was way in excess of our, our wildest dreams. Yep. Last technical director had a role on acquiring Santiago Sosa basically for pennies on the dollar, in my opinion. And I think we're all in general agreement that Santiago, Santiago Sosa, for as long as he's in MLS, is going to be a best 11 caliber player. Mm-hmm. Someone who had a role in bringing in Alan Franco uh, for pennies on the dollar. Uh, I saw some names in that piece that have become very hot-button names to Atlanta United supporters. It's yeah. not my job to tell you that you're right or wrong for feeling a certain way about a certain player. You're totally entitled to your opinion. I feel like I'm entitled to mine, but you're absolutely entitled to yours. But I just I think if we're going to have a conversation we need to look at the totality of what has happened here over the last five playing seasons plus two seasons of buildup. And I I feel like if you want to condemn Carlos for a couple things that have gone wrong here or there, he deserves an equal amount of credit, if not more, for all the things that have went well. And one final point, the front office is not just Carlos Bocanegra. There are a lot of people involved in the front office of this team. Carlos is not the only person involved in all of this. So I was just, I I think that's what I come back to more than anything else. I, I just, in fairness to Carlos, I don't think we can willfully ignore or whitewash all of the great things that have happened here. Uh, because there's a couple anecdotes being thrown out by anonymous sources that um, 
you know, might run counter to that narrative. And I certainly don't think that Atlanta United as a club is in a position uh, where there has just suddenly become no benefit of the doubt given to them. They are, again, uh, they have lost twice this year in eight competitions. Uh, We all wish they were still involved in CONCACAF. I thought the timing of the story is interesting because it clearly took a lot of time to, to put together that uh, it didn't drop until after the team was eliminated from CONCACAF. I, I thought that timing was interesting. It might just be a coincidence. I don't know. Uh, but they've played eight matches. They have results in six. They've played five road matches. They have results in four. Uh, that's really not bad. That's considering, really good. <laughs> considering who they've had to play, where they've had to play them, the fact they have a new coach, the fact that they have a team that's trying to learn a whole new philosophy about positioning in a very short amount of time. The fact that they're bringing in players kind of on the fly because they, you know, it is very, very difficult in the COVID era to be able to execute and complete player transfers internationally right now. Look at where they are. They're above the playoff line right now. They're above the playoff line right now with a schedule that's backloaded with home games. I wish they were still in cocky calf. That's a bummer. They weren't run off the field by Philadelphia. They had a bad second half where they did not respond well to a set-piece goal in the first leg. That's why they're out. So, that, Those are my thoughts, uh, and, and I'll be happy to engage if anyone has any questions or comments. But I, I, just, I don't feel like Atlanta United as a club and Carlos as a technical director um, really deserve to have a piece like that with that type of tone uh, ascribed to them right now. I, I really think things are a lot better than that that piece would seem to indicate they are. But that's just my opinion. There is a respected, very well-respected academy in place that is far more respected than other clubs that launched around the time Atlanta United did. And I can tell you from experience that Carlos Bocanegra was instrumental in getting the academy started when it was. He was out watching tryouts and checking in on like very early tryouts for these things and now you've got homegrowns coming through at you know very important numbers and that's a huge part of the club the the transfer sales that you mentioned record setting in in this league that's a huge part of the success uh, of this club and part of the job Um, is it the sexy part of it no the, the wins and losses are, and it's very easy to point back to 2020, which was a year that had your striker go down injured, and you did not answer the, the question of how you were going to replace him very well. Absolutely. I think it ended up having a definite part of why Frank DeBoer did not continue with the club. He didn't come up with the answer to that going into the MLS's back tournament. That was a big disappointment for me. I, I, I thought there was going to be time to come up with a solution to be competitive. There wasn't. That happened. Um, You also had COVID. You had all the other challenges. You had Pitti Martinez get transferred out for an offer that you had to take, not just for the good of the club, but also for the good of Pitti Martinez himself with the huge salary increase that he got out of that. So a lot of things happened in 2020 that are not normal. 2020 does not outweigh 2019, 2018, 2017, And it has nothing to do with 2021. And there's a lot of things getting lumped together at the moment 
in the the discourse around the team that are it's surprising to me. Is Joseph 100% right now? No, he's not. He's playing, though. That's better than him not playing. That's better than him just recovering from surgery. That is a step in the right direction. The roster is very different this year than it was last year. You have a different manager. You have a different style of play. There are a lot of things about 2021 that have zero to do with 2020. When the commentary is, well, since 2020, it's blah, 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 or going back to 2020, it's blah, blah, blah. That has no place in this year right now. And it, it feels like one year with an, a catastrophic injury to your hopes of success. Uh, where did LAFC, how well did they do last year with Carlos Vela out most of the year? Not out all not, the year, but most of the not, year. Not great. Not great. No. It's a big part of it. So that one bad, weird year doesn't outweigh three other years that are on the books and one year that is currently in progress that looks very different. So I I don't know what to say other than that because, I mean, those things are facts. Like it's not, That's not even an opinion to me in that three years where you won three trophies, almost set a record for the best ever regular season you could have, won awards off the field, produced homegrowns, transfer fees, I mean, the business side, all you can throw all of it into the mix. Yeah. Three incredible years that Seattle didn't win an MLS Cup in their first three years. LAFC didn't win an MLS Cup in their first three years. Chicago did in 98, which is a different tell you about league altogether tell you. at this point with 12 <laughs> teams in it. You know, like... None of the other expansion teams, where's Orlando's trophy? Where's New York City's trophy? Go ask Minnesota about trophies. Oh, wait. Go ask in Miami about how their first year went. Nashville had a great first year. It's one year. How far did they go? Cincinnati. When's the piece coming out about Cincinnati's front office, by the way? Um, you know, like. And that's, that's the part that. that <laughs> I just don't get me. it. That, that's the part that puzzles me. Um, because that, that's a really good point, Jason. Like, I, I just, I don't understand what Carlos and Atlanta United have done to <clears throat> produce this level of scrutiny. And, and I want to be really, really clear on this, that a robust free press is very important to a free society. And, uh, I, I wish every team in the league would be scrutinized the same way that Atlanta United is being scrutinized currently. I, I think that would be a really, really good thing. Um, and, you know, John says, I don't think this is a hit piece. I don't think it was a hit piece either. I, I get really uncomfortable when I see the term hit piece. Uh, hit piece suggests that there is actual malice uh, involved in, in um, you know, the construction of the piece. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, th these are reporters doing their job, but I, I just don't think it was very balanced. I think it disregarded a lot of positive things that have occurred. And, and you know, uh, Nick says, thank you for addressing. I, I just want the club to prosper. I think this is what really gets me is I, I feel like the club is prospering. Yeah. I feel like the club is prospering right now. Um, I mean, no, at the exact moment, they are not top of table, but this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I, I think 
the building blocks and the pieces and the foundation are being laid faster than I thought it would be, to be totally honest with you this year, where we could be having a much different conversation in October and November. Um, you, you know, we could be talking about playoff runs. We could be talking about supporter shield. There's nothing that makes me think that they are not on track to get there quickly. Nope. Um, so that that's kind of where I'm at. And, and look, it's a reporter doing his job and it, it's, it's a club that's doing its job and being a big club is going to invite this level of scrutiny. And I get it. There were elements to the story that just completely do not match up with what I know about certain things mm-hmm. that were mentioned there. Just completely do not align at all. Nope. And I can't really get more specific than that because I would be giving up sources uh, to, to go into further detail. Um, so there is that element of it, too. And I know there were some people wondering why, uh, you know, we weren't really talking much about it yesterday. I tend to like getting information on my own. <laughs> uh, I, I sometimes feel like when I get information directly, I might be in a better position to comment on it. So that's where I'm at. And, and hopefully that's that's a satisfactory explanation for the way I feel about it. I think Jason's made his point. Um, let's move forward now and have a great rest of the season, because I think this club can have a great rest of the season. And for people who feel very, very strongly about what needs to happen in the wake of this article, I would just encourage again, take a very deep breath and look at the totality of the accomplishments, good and bad. Cause yeah, mistakes have been made, you know, the, the, Every team again, makes them. last last year <laughs> did not go perfectly. No organization in professional sports does not make a mistake here or there. Have a signing they wish they had back. Have a draft pick they wish they had back. Have a trade they wish they had back. Liverpool should have, have had more center back depth back. this year. The, right. The, they should have addressed that in the offseason. That was a conversation. The year before, Manchester City should have had more center back depth because they had injuries. Uh, Barcelona shouldn't have blown so much money on Antoine Griezmann when they didn't need to. Um, they also shouldn't have blown so much money on Felipe Coutinho either, but that's a whole nother topic. Like, you know, like it happens. Huge teams make mistakes. You're never guaranteed on a signing. You're never guaranteed on a trade. You're never guaranteed in that. But in my opinion, because of the success on the field and the records, there's been more hits than misses. And right. 2020 is one that I do think has to be taken with a grain of salt because of the injury to Joseph Martinez and dealing with COVID and everything that went along with it. It's hard to judge everything on one year as opposed to three good years. Absolutely. And let me just interject one more time on that because that's really important. I feel like when I see since June of 2020 blank, <sighs> I feel like you're telling on yourself a little bit because it is just not correct to loop in everything that happened post pandemic last year to what has happened this year. No. And I'll keep going back to this again. You did not have any designated players in a large number of your league matches. Once you came back from the pandemic in a salary cap league, the designated player is so important and so influential to teams and matches and results. And yeah, I mean, it is unfortunate that 
They did not expect Joseph Martinez to suffer a season-ending injury on February 29th and that they were really unable to do much to address having a replacement for him even before the season began. But I think that's a gamble that most front offices around the league are probably going to take. But this is a new year. It's a new coach. It's a new group. Uh, It's a new everything. Yeah, the matches feel different, don't don't they? That's right. The matches feel different. Sorry, the the matches like it feels like every the matches are just different. That's why lumping twenty twenty into it makes no sense to me. These games don't feel like the games did in twenty twenty. The way the team is playing doesn't feel like anything from twenty twenty. You know, it it's it just doesn't fit. It, it's like saying that to to go to another sport for an analogy here. It, it's like saying that. You know, a, a a team that wants to give me a give me a basketball coach known for a defensive style and wants to slow the game down. Uh, Dave Yeager, the former Memphis Grizzlies head coach. There we go, Dave Yeager, and then the next year you hire Mike D'Antoni, and saying Which is pretty much what they did, by the way, <laughs> when they hired Taylor Jenkins. See, there you go, and and then saying that well, in the first four games of the regular season or the first eight games in all competitions of the second coach who's playing a completely different style plus what the other coach did or the other year it's a bad timeline that's not fair like that 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 doesn't fit it, it's 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 not fair I, i'm sorry i think and it's that can, looking that can go both ways right yeah. that can go both ways right like um you know you, a college team could hire chip kelly that mm-hmm. scores 75 mm-hmm. points per game and the next year, they could hire Mark Rick, who scores 35 points per game. Oh, well, under Rick, they're scoring half as many points. It's a completely different style. Right. Are they better so. defensively? Are they winning games, et cetera, et cetera? All right. couple comments. And then we're getting asked about Club de Foot. I, yeah. I want to talk about this. Club de Foot. We've gone foot. way over our 20-minute time limit on this. Yeah, we did. Uh, but that's that's my fault. Turner, uh, and Turner, great to hear from you. He says, uh, there was a portion of the fan base that blamed the front office for the continued failure after Frank DeBoer left last year, ignoring the new manager and lack of training because of schedule. This just adds confirmation bias. I'll, I'll just say one more thing on that. Again, I can't tell anyone they're right or wrong for the way they feel. That's in your heart. So uh, I don't think anyone should have to apologize if they disagree with me or Jason. Yeah. Um, you're entitled to your opinion. That's totally fine. And by the way, guys, we're having a sports debate here. Okay. Let's keep that in mind, too. This is a sports debate. I think there have been elements of this conversation that have gotten a little bit extreme that I've seen on social media. Yeah, yeah. This My timeline debate. would really like it if we remember that if we yeah. disagree on something about the way a team plays or, or what we like or dislike about the game, it doesn't mean anybody is stupid it doesn't mean anybody is an awful person it doesn't mean anybody needs a mental health break (laughs) like none of these things are accurate like i I once called someone who wrote for the league website an idiot i'll own that like and that was a mistake that was a huge mistake and i apologized for that um but guys this is sports debate we aren't telling your mama jokes Okay, we aren't, you know, negotiating foreign domestic policy or anything like that. It's a sports debate, so this should be fun, right? Like, 
The give and take should be fun. I work for a radio station that has sports debates 24 hours a day. It, the, the discourse and the conversation is supposed to be fun. It shouldn't. I think it's gotten a little bit too emotional on both sides. Um, so yeah, it's uh, gotten too combative. Is is combative where is it right is. Word. Like it's yeah. it doesn't need to be that. And uh, to promote said sports station 92.9 The Game, uh, Darren Eels is on Dukes and Bell this afternoon at is it 3:20? Do I have the time right? I think you're right. I think it is 3:20. I think he is still in the 3:20 slot. So uh, if you want more, there you go. It's yeah. coming up in just a bit. Right from there, a good promo. Uh, Curtis says, for him, it's a matter of investment to outcome. Our wage bill and fees to get players suggest we should have better results. Yeah, but not immediately, Curtis, is where I'm at this year. Um, to have better results in the first three years, it's it's kind of hard to, to be honest. Uh, 2020, again, I think there's very tangible reasons for why that happened. And also, I think to your point, Curtis, that there's also, because of that, why the manager who started 2020 is no longer here. Right. So, I mean, you know, that that's part of it. So I think that's accurate. Yeah. But they've addressed it. That's yeah. And, and I think it, to come in, and this is what I've said from the beginning about Gabriel Heinze, if you do your homework on, on Gabby and, and you pay attention to what he has said in the media, not here, not just here, but he has said it here too, but – after games, before games in Argentina, and it's all out there. I mean, if you don't speak Spanish as your primary language, you're going to have to put some work in. But it's obvious that he is about building. That's why I called it a project. And that takes time rather than just coming in and saying, I'm going to play my best 11 players in the simplest positions for them to play, and we're going to try to just keep it simple, and hope that we are better than the other team. I don't think that's what the fan base wants either. I think they want a style. And Gabriel Heinze at Velez and before that at Argentinos Juniors in the second division showed that he has an idea, and he has some very clear ideas about style. And his Argentinos Juniors teams were, were watched probably more than any second division team in Argentina has been in years because people were like, wow, what did this is? I mean, he's a big name as a former player, but this is different. This is fun to watch. This is high energy. This is okay. I want to watch this team. And there were studies done about it. People started writing websites about Gabriel Heinze's style of play. And he gets covered a ton internationally about this style right now. People are, are following what he's doing in Atlanta. But when you do something like that, it takes time. Pep Guardiola, it takes time. Sam Allardyce, it doesn't take time. It is what it is. Like it's just literally like get it simple, be defensive, and go. That's not what this club has ever you know strived for. It's not what Gabriel Heinze is striving for. So it does take time. Four league games and eight games overall, which have not been bad. Right, is not time to judge it. I honestly think it's it's through July, to be perfectly honest. I, I think it is that long of a period of time to get to where we have some very clear ideas about what works, maybe what needs to be improved, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, it is a process, and the good teams go through that process. The limited teams can hit the ground running quickly, but their ceiling's very low. I agree. Okay, club to foot. 
Uh, let's look ahead to Saturday and look, it's going to be a celebration because we're going to have 40,000 people in the bends. And I think we're going to have a really good match. Uh, Montreal surprised a little bit early, defied very early expectations. Feels like they're coming down to earth just a tiny bit. They do play tonight. So they're down in Miami tonight. They do play tonight. Then they'll come up here on Saturday. I really strongly believe Jason that, with uh, Montreal in the midst of match compression and Atlanta United finally having a full week to train. And it's something that Miles Robinson talked about today was very, very valuable to be having a full week at home to train, not to mention the fact that you are getting some injured players back. I really feel like this is a match where Atlanta United is going to want to really attack down the wings as quickly as they possibly can and try to run this team as much as possible for 90 minutes because you get the feeling that Montreal is going to wear down in this match. What is actually let me let me put it this way. There have been 3 games this season that Atlanta United has had at least a full week to prepare for. Yep. Which 3 are they? Alouette 1, which is 1-0 with a first half red card you won. Mm-hmm. Allo Lindsay, two, again, Mm -hmm. a one nil win where you were clearly the better team for 90 minutes, Mm -hmm. but Allo Lindsay was playing for a road goal and Chicago, Mm -hmm. where you scored three goals and probably could have had five. And the most important thing about those games in in my mind is you conceded one goal in those three Yep, because you have a week to prepare. You have a week to get your body right, but you have a week to focus on what you think will take care of business against Montreal. And that's twofold. I, I know everybody wants to throw out the, the cliche about we're only working on ourselves, we're, we're thinking about ourselves, we're focusing on our game. Good teams do that while understanding the context of the match they're about to play. And if, if you've paid attention to Pep Guardiola and, and some of the things that have been out there about how he prepares a team for a match, it's a process, and it's not accidental. Everything is intentional from the minute the last game ends until the next game kicks off. It's very intentional. And you're going to go and you're going to try to reinforce some of your principles this week. You're going to get back to pressing up higher because you're going to have fresher legs. You're going to get back to that third-man movement, the fourth-man movement, the movement off the ball. You're going to reinforce those things because it's still young. You know, It's still new for you to do that. But as you get later in the week, and especially with Montreal playing tonight, and you're able to absorb that along with absorbing what happened with them against Vancouver where they lost 2-0, you're able to say, okay, looking at Montreal against Vancouver plus whatever we see tonight, they played a 3-5-2. That means likely Atlanta United will play a 3-4-3. And they will want to stretch... Either the three center backs, if Montreal is very risky, stretch them across the field and create gaps, or pin those wing backs back to make Montreal have to sit in a line of five because they won't be able to get out. Also means you've got to deal with the two forwards. And against Vancouver, it was Romel Kyoto, who is a, a player who's played out wide plenty, but is a, a powerful number nine, likes to get the ball on the run, he's fast. And it was Bjorn Jonsson, as the other forward, a bigger guy, 6'5", but struggled a little bit as he was trying to kind of find his space. Jordi Mihailovic as a number 10 for Montreal, very good player. Uh, uh, Jordi Mihailovic is 
one of my favorites in the league, young American creative midfielder. Have to make sure he's locked up. Beyond that, this is a team that that you can deal with, but you don't want to let them get out on the break. You've got to deal with their two up top, which means you'll probably have three in the back. And the questions would be, do you go with a 3-4-3 that looked a little bit like it did against Philadelphia, for example, where it was a little bit more of a box of four as opposed to wing backs and two central midfielders? Or do you do what we saw against Alabalenze in leg one, where it was Lennon and Bello wide as wing backs who were getting up and down, stretching the field there, and two central midfielders? And also, now that you have Alan Franco in the mix, do you go with three true center backs? And that's even not really the best way to put it, but you'll get what, what I'm saying when I say, instead of pulling Sosa and putting him in the back, could you play Sosa as one of those central midfielders a little bit higher up the field and impact the game maybe a little bit higher up the field? You're watching what you've seen from Montreal so far this week. You're going to analyze tonight as well. You're going to analyze maybe who looks tired, who looks weak, who can you run at. Who could potentially come in for that player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to soak in this week. You get a full week of that. Instead of recovery day, maybe a video session, maybe a light training session to reinforce things and then go again. You get all of that, all of the reinforcement, the recovery, the video work, the preparation specifically for Montreal, and then you get to play. You're going to be better prepared. I agree. You know, Austin had a great question. And Austin, I am going to get the answer for you before Saturday. It's a great question. He wants to know, is this going to be the largest soccer crowd in the world since the pandemic started? Uh, Probably not, because I think there were a few places that would have had large crowds that Maybe we're not as careful about things. And I'm, well, I'm looking I, at I, Russia. But 45,000? I uh, think Russia might have been past that at some point. We're going to find out. Yeah. We are going to find out. I know just the person who has the answer. His name begins with a J. And he's going to get a text as soon as we're done here. And the research is going to be You're going to we'll give him homework. No, he, he probably knows the answer already. Oh, it's no. probably not homework. No, this is a tricky one. This is this could be a tricky one. Yeah, because I, I'm thinking of you know where they never stop. Like uh, the Republic of Georgia never stopped, but they don't have stadiums. You wouldn't have had large crowds. Russia is the one that comes to mind for me. That yeah. maybe they jumped it faster and they've had a, a crowd of that size. But I'm not a hundred percent on that. I, I'm not positive either. Uh, maybe North Korea in their two hundred thousand seat stadium. Maybe they had a, a soccer on which match. Uh, North but, uh, Korean tabloid. Do you want to believe? <laughs> right. Well, we'll find out. Uh, coverage plans are as such. Uh, Saturday, 6.30, five stripes countdown, 7 o'clock kickoff. Full one-hour, full-time report after the match on 92.9 the game. We're also on Sirius XM Channel 157. Don't forget, on Friday, 3 o'clock, we think, on uh, Atlanta United's YouTube channel on the AT&T countdown to kickoff, a really great interview with Efren Morales this week as yeah. we talk about Atlanta United 2 playing their first home match next week. Really great visiting with him. We'll have uh, some analysis on the Montreal match as well. And as Jason said, Darren's going to be on 92.9 a little later this afternoon. And um, I'll be on tomorrow at 1220, and uh, we'll, we'll just kind of keep it moving. But, again, thank you for your questions and your comments. 
And uh, look, if you didn't comment, you disagree with some of the stuff he said. That, again, that's totally fine. <laughs> okay. We're having sports debates here. It's totally fine. It doesn't mean that we dislike you for disagreeing or anything like that. We just, you know, these are our opinions and you have yours and that's okay. Um, but I, I think, again, when it's all said and done, we all want the same thing. We want the club to prosper. I think they're prospering. Some people don't. I guess it depends on the lens through which you look. Uh, but that's where we are right now. And, um, you know, if you would have told me back in January that we'd be having 45,000 people at a stadium on May 15th and Atlanta United would be uh, 1 1 and 2 in league play and would have made the quarterfinals of CONCACAF, I would have been thrilled with that. So I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, would, I, I wouldn't have believed it and not just about the crowd thing. I, I would not have believed it because I thought it would take longer. I thought it would just be more of a process to get to where this team is now. I think they're ahead of schedule. I think you want to continue to build up Joseph's confidence. It's great that he gets a goal here. You want to get into a normal routine now where you have a normal match week and you can prepare because so far when they have, they've won and they've only conceded one goal in three. When you've played eight and you've only had three games with normal match weeks, tells you all you need to know. Let's see how they do the rest of this month. We'll be talking about all of it all month long. Um, one other thing, I saw the question pop up. We don't have an update on Lisandro Lopez. Uh, there was reporting out of Argentina late last night. Uh, Cesar Luis Merlo, who's one of the best in the world at what he does, uh, said that Lisandro Lopez was considering retiring after the passing of his father. And that's not exactly a surprise. Um, being in another country away from your family during a time like that has got to be incredibly hard for Lisandro. Uh, we've said it before, but all of our thoughts are with Lisandro and his family, and I'm sure he'll be given the time he needs to decide what's best for him and his family. So that's all I care about. Exactly, is, is that he's okay, and I think that's all they care about too. I can't exactly. even imagine what he's going through right now, and soccer is clearly secondary to all right. of that. You do have cover with Kubo you Torres do. and Jackson Conway, and maybe Tyler Wolf as well. Yeah, uh, but and Eric Lopez, right now, yeah. Eric Lopez. Yeah, but right now my thoughts are, are with Lissandra. That's the, the important way. thing. And and we'll keep you posted on anything else that comes from that, any other news that comes up uh, between now and Saturday. And otherwise, uh, we will see some of you inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And we'll be talking to the rest of y'all on the radio and on the Odyssey app and on the Atlanta United app as well. So thanks for hanging out. We will talk to y'all soon. Spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.